okay. If you're a journalist who uses the tool Help a Reporter Out, or Harrow, listen up. Harrow is moving to Cision's new app, Connectively. But what is Connectively? Well, imagine a place where you can quickly connect with expert sources for your next story. Connectively is a new app from Cision that's changing the way journalists like us, content creators, experts and PRs work together. So if you're in search of credible sources, Connectively is your next stop. With just a click, you can publish your queries. These go straight to a feed where experts from loads of different backgrounds can respond, giving you their expertise. So go on, visit connectively.us to sign up for free. That's C-O-N-N-E-C-T-I-V-E-L-Y dot U-S. Connectively dot us. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Lily Cantor. And I'm Emma Wilkinson. Believe it or not, this is our 11th series of the podcast. And after our special awards season that we did last series, we're now back to our usual format. So each week we're going to be discussing an issue that affects freelance journalists. And we're going to chat through the problems and the solutions with the help of two experienced guests. We're also experimenting with YouTube. So this is a little nerve wracking. Yes, hello YouTube, <laughs> hopefully this goes well. Um, today we are going to get into the meaty topic of freelance rights. What are our rights as freelance journalists and how do we go about defending them? Yeah, so we're going to introduce our guests in a minute. Um, but first, like we always do, we want to start on a positive note. And we're going to start with our freelance win of the week. So over to you, Emma. I've got a really good one this week mm-hmm. because I was invited on Women's Hour to talk about an investigation I'd done. And this was like, I feel like so far, forget everything else I've done. I feel like this is the pinnacle. I was so excited. Also completely terrified. But it had come, Lily knows this, at the end of the week where I'd basically been having a meltdown. because It was just the end of the summer holidays. Deadlines were coming in. The kids were going nuts. Everything was going wrong. To the point where I thought, oh, can I actually do this? I farmed the kids off to my sister. I planned, I prepped, I c- calmly collected my thought and I went on and it went well. So I'm really pleased that I did say yes and didn't kind of let that imposter syndrome take over. Yeah, so and it's it was, really yeah. good. You obviously had prepared really carefully for it. I yeah. had, yeah. And it was more like I'd just sort of written down how I would explain, you know, I didn't have a script in front of me. I hadn't prepared to that kind of level, but I'd just sort of gone through it, tried to think about how I would explain to someone who didn't know. Because I'd been doing this investigation since February. Mm. It's really hard to then kind of take a step back and think, how do I explain this to someone who doesn't doesn't know the topic? Um, but yeah, the preparation worked. Yeah, I was prepared. Yes. Yeah. And it yeah. went very well, so I was very pleased. So yeah, Lily, what's what's your highlight this week? Yeah, mine has been, I've had a bit of a flurry of invites onto press trips. Um, I've actually been invited on four press trips within four weeks. Um, And um, I've had to decide which ones I can go on. I've kind of nailed it down to one. There was one I wanted to go on that kind of fell through. Um, 
But then my second choice, I got a commission off the back of it so I can go. So fingers crossed, they're sorting the flights at the moment. So hopefully I'm going to be flying off to Milan in a few weeks' time um, to visit a sportswear brand and test out their gear um, at Lake Garda. So that should be fun. Oh, that's very nice. I love Lake Garda. I had the best holiday there. Hopefully you get a bit of time to do some sightseeing and you're not just... I don't know. It's a quick <laughs> in, quick out. It's like one night. So we'll see. Yeah. But no, I'll get to run out and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the excuse, isn't it? Go for a run around Lake Garda. That'll be very nice. Okay, so it's time to introduce our guest for this week's episode. Today we have with us Sharon Boyle, a journalist and author of 30 years who specialises in health and crime investigations. She's covered the major criminal cases in the North for over three decades, and her work was recently included in an Amazon Prime documentary, The Confession. Sharon, you may also know, is the founder of the Facebook group Can Pay, Won't Pay, which is a space for freelance journalists to let off steam about bad practice in confidence. Yes, great group. I've been on there for quite a while, having a moan about various things. Um, our other guest with us today also has got a great CV. We've got Natasha Hurst, freelance photojournalist specialising in social justice and political campaigns. She's worked on a range of projects, um, including projects for All Wales People First, the Royal College of Nursing and Digital Community Wales. She's also chair of Disability Arts Karoo. And not only is she all of those things, but she's also now the new president of the National Union of Journalists, and she has a very strong history of fighting for freelance rights. So both excellent guests to have on today for this topic. Yes, thank you both for coming and talk to, talking to us about this. And um, Sharon, let's start with you. Can you tell us why you set up the Can Pay, Won't Pay face group? Why was that needed? Okay, so um, I've been freelance since 1996. Um and back then, people used to say to me, you know, even then, I, I would say I want my name on a story when staffers would put their name on my work. So I start, and these say it's the name on the cheque that matters, but it isn't, it's more than that. So quite a few years ago, I spoke out about byline banditry. And Dominic Ponsford, the editor of the Press Gazette, actually told me, he ran the story that I wrote about it, about somebody putting their name on my story without my permission. And he said he thought my career was toast because I did that. And this is central to all what we're talking about today. But I knew it wouldn't be because I knew if I come up with a good story, a desk would take it. So I spoke out about the practice. The editor of the newspaper, The Sun, then rang me and said the practice of byline banditry was ending. Uh, and because of that, other freelancers would contact me because I put my head above the parapet. And they would ask me what they'd ask me for advice. And also, it was about payment. So I set up Can Pay, Won't Pay. The title says it all. It's a safe place for freelancers only. And we, we, you know, we ask if you get a staff job, please leave. And it's for freelancers only who are either based in the UK, work for the UK, as well as possibly selling uh, foreign rights, etc. And it's safe and confidential for us. 
to uh, talk about who is a good payer, who is a bad payer, good and bad practice. It's, you know, I suppose we've got over a thousand members now, which is brilliant and say something. Um, and, uh, I mean, I don't advertise it or anything. It's just word of mouth. And it's, it's almost like it's an unofficial union for freelancers. That's, that's how I see it because that's what we lack. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's great that you've got that space where, like you say, people can talk in confidence and it's specifically for freelancers, um, which I think is really important. Um, Natasha, if we come down to you, because... Um, you've taken a more formal route of campaigning. Can you just tell us a bit more about how you first got involved in the NUJ and kind of what was your motivation for getting involved? Yeah, um, uh, almost 10 years ago now, actually, I fled domestic abuse um, and I ended up homeless. I was living in a women's refuge um, and I wasn't able to work for quite a long time because I had PTSD. So... For me, as a freelance, that was just an incredibly frightening situation to be in. And it was also, you know, the system does not help freelancers get their careers back on track, you know, when they've been signed off work for a while in that way. Um, and and it was the union and my sort of um, activism in the union that helped me get my personal life and my professional life back together again. Um, it helped bring sort of opportunities for work, opportunities for me to uh, have a platform, have a voice, build my confidence, and then give back, really. You know, so the support that I've had from the union, my colleagues, I now have that opportunity to um, to use that platform to help create change, to challenge injustice, um, and hopefully make a difference for, for other freelancers as well. Uh, so... So that, that was my main motivation. Yeah, I mean, I think that really kind of chimes with one of the reasons why Lily and I wanted to start freelancing for journalists, because it's about that kind of networking and support from those who are more experienced. Um, you know, when you start freelancing, you don't necessarily have any idea of how it how it works or what you should expect. Um I mean, Sharon, come back to you. Let's get into the the nitty gritty of what freelancers vent about most in the Facebook group. And then I've I've kind of responded to people in there. It's it's really nice, I think, to have because you've got lots of really experienced freelancers in there who can yeah, say, "I've been through this. This is what I did." So, what yeah. are the kind of things that people are? Well, I think about? I think as I said before about the fear of speaking out that still exists to this day. And I mean, I'm in the NUJ. So I'm a big supporter of what the NUJ does for freelancers. But the, I suppose this is more an immediate access, isn't it? You post it on Facebook or on Twitter as well, but Facebook's the main source and people reply pretty quickly. Our main gripe, the most common gripe, is obviously rates of pay. Now, I say I started freelancing, I think it was 95, 96. And I am paid roughly, and I am an established freelancer. So, you know, I sort of, my name is known in my area, I'm told. So, but I reckon we get paid about 30% less than what we got in the 90s. Now, I know of no other profession where that exists. It certainly doesn't exist with staffers. Um, so, rates of pay have obviously been slashed at a time, really, when freelancers are needed more than ever because. 
some of the papers are just run by a handful of staff and they rely on us. And I am a broken record with some of my sayings. You know, I like to say it's a symbiotic relationship. They've got pages to fill. We've got stories to sell. We are businesses, not a charity. So it's rates of pay. The time it gets uh, to be paid. I mean, if I do a story today, early September, for the Mirror Group, the earliest I will get paid is the end of October. But, and if it's not run till October, it could be November because of the, the, the payment on publication, which is another book fair, um, and kill fees. You know, a, a kill fee is what traditionally they would pay 50% if they didn't use it. Now, again, I compare it to if a plumber puts a new bathroom in my house, puts it in, and I say, oh, don't like it. I'm only paying you 50%. It's it's morally wrong. I don't know legally, that's where I bring the NUJ in, but it is morally wrong. I have done the work. I mean, I've just done a story. The track the said it's payment on publication, but I'm going to whap in an invoice because I'm a charity, not a business. And uh, so it's it's payment. It's all issues to do with payment. Um, then, of course, there's rights now. Uh, some publishing groups are try trying to get you to sign away your rights um, for your work. And I say, please, please, please don't. Your work is your property. You know, I'm Paul McCartney, Dolly McCartney, uh, Dolly Parton, they don't sign away their rights to their music. It's the same thing. Who knows, especially as journalism goes more and more online, how your work and pictures could be used online. So mm -hmm. you are protecting what you earn. So it's it's pay uh, rights and it's time it takes to pay. And, you know, it's basically freelancers are, are treated like the poor relations still. And, and it's wrong. It is really wrong. It's interesting you pick up on rights in and particularly like when you're signing contracts, I've noticed that, but also I notice a lot more indemnity clauses where you are responsible for whatever happens to that story, which for me is like the most frightening thing. I, I wonder, Natasha, if, if we can come to you, in terms of what the NUJ deals with with freelancers, what are the most common things that, that freelancers come to the NUJ for? Um, well, obviously, issues issues like um, you know the the rates is is just key to everything, key to all of our campaigns. Um, but we we have freelancers coming to us on a really wide range of things. So there, there are some things that okay, it takes time and effort, but you can deal with it yourself. And sometimes you're just not getting the response that you need, and then that's where the union can come in and assist. Um, and you know, so things like employment status. So there are many freelancers who. Um, actually might have worker status and have employment rights but don't even realise it um, until they suddenly had their contract cut and that was their main client. Um, uh, you know, um, discrimination, contract disputes, copyright, um, huge, huge area both in terms of copyright grabs in, in contracts and copyright infringement. Um, um, things like um, uh, arrests. So, so I'm a photographer, so that, that's always that's always a risk when you're, you know, especially covering public order situation or protest demonstrations. Increasingly, um, police overstepping the line. We've had members 
um, who'd come to the union uh, for support when they've been arrested. Um, uh, a really, really wide range of things, but but it always comes back down to we're we're, we're being exploited basically um, and not being paid enough, and we have the right to make a living in the same way that anybody else does. Exactly, exactly. Staffers are not paid thirty percent less. You know, they're paid every month. If they were told, well, we're not going to pay you for two to three months because we've not run much of your work, um, yeah, they'd be up in arms. It's, it, it's morally wrong. And as I say, we've provided the service. I always think every story I sell, I'm selling all my years of experience, my contacts, lifetime uh, skills uh, to give them that, to make sure it's legally safe. Uh, the clicks, the pictures, again, you know, if the if the families give them to me, I try and do joint uh, copyright bylines. Um, but it, again, the internet, we used to be able to sell on second and third rights. The internet has sort of ruined that for us as well, really. I've seen my, some of my stories on like Japanese websites. God knows how they've got that. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, personally so i do a lot for the medical trade press where the rates actually have increased more or less they have put them up but the time taken to pay is something that you know i've whipped quite a lot of my editors into shape but you would still not kind of every month i've got an invoice that's gone missing or something that's just hasn't you know it's just these little bits of admin that take up so much time to try and organized so I am working consistently all the time full time and yet my income is a complete roller coaster it's one of my things that really yeah well really frustrating and and, and I know people and on on the campaign group that that's where the courts was for advice I've not been paid for this I did it x months ago or even June a year ago what should I do um and you know that's where the solidarity comes in to help and Thanks. The feedback I get from there is that, you know, it, it is invaluable. And that's the only thing we can do is, if it, like, if you like safety in numbers, to be honest. Yeah, so let's talk a bit about the solutions. So I think, obviously, we need to make freelancers aware that they should be pushing back immediately, getting those invoices in immediately. Don't be kind of just taking no for an answer or think that someone else is sorting it out. But actually, it shouldn't be on us, right? The industry needs to make some changes here to to pay quickly and fairly. Um, Sharon, what do you think about that? Without a doubt. When I delivered the story, um, I, I mean, normally, most are used quite quickly, so I don't have to wait too long. But I know of freelancers where they're waiting for weeks and months, and it's just not right. They have if you like, they've done their end of the bargain, they should be paid for it. Yeah, I mean, Natasha, one, one thing I've, I've sort of learned over my career is I basically don't work for those publications now that either a payment on publication or I know they're going to take forever to pay. Um, so I actually don't really have too many um, issues with getting paid regularly and on time because i've i've learned along the way but i do i do wonder like is that one of the solutions that we just we just don't work for these organizations we we, we find the ones that do pay properly or is this you know is this something that as freelancers the things we can do but also 
we need to be putting pressure on industry to change things at their end. Again, kind of what are some of the solutions? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the solutions all lie in collective action. You know, so so whether it's a trade union like the NUJ or, or networks um, like Campay Won't Pay and all sorts of other freelance networks that are out there, we're we're sharing information, we're sharing knowledge, and that gives us power. Um, um, but but it's as as an individual when you're trying to challenge poor practice, you have very little power in that relationship. And so the more of us that there are pushing for the same thing, whether it's a formal campaign through the union or lots of freelancers coming back with the same response, that is going to make um, uh, editors change their practices. And I think that that's really, really important. So the NUJ, um, for example, consistently campaigns um, for payment on publication. Um, you know, no, no staffer would be happy about having their salary withheld for a couple of months because They've completed a project, but we're not going to launch it until later in the year. Um, you know, the same thing applies. If we've done the work, we submitted Absolutely. it to spec on time, we should be paid for it. Um, I don't know why that's so hard to grasp. Um, I think, I think we're, as an individual, but I mean, I've spoken out and I don't have much to lose at my stage in my career now, but we don't, um, you know, it took, I wrote, about, uh, say, byline vanity in the press gazette, and it took that to end that practice. Individually, we don't, you know, if you're taking on the mirror, say, or a magazine group or associated, uh, uh, well, you don't have a lot of sway collectively, possibly, but you know, almost like you'd need somebody like, say, a member of parliament to represent freelance journalism because it's really important the work we do. You know, like I say, you, when I was on papers and even the first decade of freelancing, there were court reporters, council reporters. They've all gone. Who's holding the powerful to account? The, the, the poor practice has almost become the established practice. And it's about, I suppose, according us, the respect and fair treatment that we deserve. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that uh, people outside the industry would realise how much of the content that they're reading and consuming, even kind of watching on, you know, broadcast, listening to on the radio, is produced, created by freelancers. Yeah. I mean, if you could wave a magic wand, Sharon, so let's say we get rid of, that's number one, we get rid of payment on publication and you just pay when, you know, that payment is made when you've submitted the work, what other kind of one or two things would be on your top three to to, to wave uh, on and change? Well, rates of pay, rates of pay. Uh, uh, as I say, I know of no other professional trade where rates have been slashed by 30%, say. Uh, and I know you've said before, don't work for those uh, publications who do pop. It doesn't work like that. You know, we can't afford to discard a large chunk of the market. So that's not practical, I think. But it would be rates of pay, um, protection of our uh, copyright as well. Yeah, and I think it really does depend on who you work for. Like, I'm able to do that because I, I, my specialism is, is niche enough that it, it's not reliant on the big players um, or, you know, sort of mainstream media, as it were. Um, but I, I changed my specialism, um, and I guess in part because of 
some of those issues I was having with with the payment on publication. I mean, I just wonder about practical tips as well. So like with the kill fee, where where do the freelancers stand with that? I mean, if they've done the work, then surely they should be getting paid 100%. And then well, things like late payment fees, you know, should we be putting that on everything we do? I mean, Natasha, what, what kind of practical guidance can we give on, on those issues, kill fees and late payment fees? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's really poor practice. Um, it's not fair. Um, it, it can be difficult for them to um, enforce. Um, but I think it, it, it's sometimes it's a personal decision. Sometimes you, you need that money. You don't want to work for that client again and you can just chase them for, for the full fee or, or as much as you can get. Um, but sometimes you might actually um, be able to resell that work elsewhere um, and you might want to try to get another commission from that same client. Um, it, it, can, it can be, you know, a personal decision. It's It would be great to be able to say, this is terrible practice. I'm going to go for every penny I can get from you and I'm never going to work for you again. But most freelancers really aren't in that position um, to, to, to lose opportunities for work because editors don't want to pay us on time or pay us fairly. Um, it really is a good idea to make sure in an invoice that you um, make it clear that it's 30-day um, payment terms um, and make it clear that you know what your rights are in that respect. Um, it's always a good idea to try to get um, contact details for somebody in the finance department. So when you're chasing payment, you're not damaging your relationship with the editor, you're, you're chasing the finance people who are responsible for making that payment happen. And um, as well, Natasha, the editors are under a lot of pressure as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the nice people doing a hard job, they're doing as best as possible. And, and if you've got a good relationship, they want to get the best out of us freelancers so that we keep going back to them. Yeah. And the top tip that I would give is to join the Enu trade. Um, because, um, so we, we, um, negotiate, um, in, in workplaces and what we're increasingly doing is making sure that freelancers are included with the negotiations that, that we have with employers. So when we're talking about, um, workers conditions and rights and payment, we also want to make sure that we're addressing the concerns of freelancers within that. We have a freelance charter that lists, um, 10 key things that we're asking for, not just the top three, um. But within that, it's it's fair written contracts, it's respect for creators' rights, um, as well as you know, um, you know, fair rates of pay and, and so on. And I think I would say as well that there are lots of ways in which you can push back politely. It doesn't have to be a row. It's just reminding people that the invoice hasn't been paid and that you know this is the date that you submitted it. Um, quite often it is just it's fallen into some kind of admin hole and there's lots of polite ways to keep up pressure and say look this is what I expect and I'm checking this on my end without I think people are worried that that's gonna put editors off from commissioning them again and I, I haven't found that to be the case I think if you know your rights you can kind of politely and firmly push back and um, I mean I think it would be remiss of us to um, have this conversation and not talk about what freelancers should look out for when it comes to getting that initial commission or a contract that they that need to sign. So sort of upfront before you've done the work, um, 
you know, you've checked that that's all fair and above board. So I'm going to come to both of you on, on this and get your different perspectives. But Sharon, what do you, you know, what kind of things when you're getting commissioned, are you going to look out for in terms of the information you've been given and what you've agreed to? Well, I, I actually find probably 95% of my own work. I, I'm not, some freelancers actually get stories given to do. I sort of quite like having the free, it's nice now and again, and I do, actually, I do get asked uh, to do things like that. But I quite like having the freedom to pick and choose, and I know the area of uh, work I like to specialise in. So when I find a story, um, I just think, right, what's the angle? That's your pitch, you know, in the subject, uh, one sentence, probably five to six parts, send it down, is it exclusive? what pictures and um, I usually include about three or four pictures and uh and send it uh usually send it to people like I've got a really good working relationship with who come back fast as well which is a big thing they don't sit on it to say yes or no for three or four days and then I'll send it to I'll just send it around then and it's to say yeah come back 1200 words da -da 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 -da. and that's that's how I work have you ever had to sign a contract with anyone? Uh, a magazine um, tried to get me to sign, uh, yeah, a couple of magazines. Not with newspapers, to be honest. I mean, if it's exclusive, they're exclusive to Sharon Boyle Media, not whoever I uh, sell it to. So they're exclusive to me. Um, and, you know, I get them to sign to me. Uh, but I've been asked by magazines, uh, you know, they've needed people, the interviewer, to be signed. Uh, they've sent one to me to sign away my rights. I've put a line through with that and just say no. Yeah, I've done that before. I've had yeah. companies ask yeah. for general contracts. Actually, if you're going to be doing regular freelance oh, work, this right. is well, what... I'll say they can have first rights. And yeah. her, anyone else, but no way. And yeah, watching out for indemnity clauses, watching out for yeah, signing over your rights and just saying I'm not I'm not gonna sign that. And actually every time I've said that, they've come back and yeah. taken that clause out. So yeah. it is yeah. worth doing. Absolutely. Uh, you mustn't be afraid as a freelancer. And I think to be a freelance journalist, you know, it's safe isn't it being a staffer in that sense. There's advantages to it. But I think you've got to be tenacious, you've got to you know, you've got to have drive and self-motivation. You've got to be confident. And it's, it's almost that British thing. You don't like to discuss money. Why not? You work. You know, just be honest and polite about it. But, yeah, I've never been knocked back when I've said no. No, I keep yeah. my own rights. Um, Natasha, that same question to you. When it comes to getting that commission getting that information up front about, you know, what's expected and perhaps if there's any contracts to sign, do you have some sort of tips, advice on, on what, what approach to take there? Yeah, I mean, get, get as much in writing in advance as you can, um, both in terms of what's expected of you, the deadline, rates of pay, um, but certainly the, the terms as well, if you can get a contract. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about indemnity clauses. They are horrific to dump all of that on an individual freelancer. It's it's so exploitative. Um, I've certainly challenged those those clauses in contracts before. Um, I've been able to get them amended to um, say that I will do my best to avoid 
bringing we, we should do a three letter that's our job yeah it's our job to make sure that we're you know writing or, or photographing as fairly and accurately as we can um um copyright crabs unfair sort of syndication terms um and again you know sometimes it's just an awful lot of tiny print to wade through but it's worth it because you can challenge that and often if you um, provide an alternative form of wording for them it's it makes that whole process of dealing with the editor a lot easier and, and to get those sort of unfair clauses taken out um, and again watch out for things like um, you know whether it's payment on publication or not and, and you know make a decision around that um, so uh, so whether, whether it's written work whether it's photography or, or other forms of visual journalism it can just be sometimes so vague you get you get someone saying oh i want you to do this and it's all really really there's there's no clarity to it for me as a photographer what time do i turn up how long will i be there for what do you then want to use the work for because that will that will depend you know my, my fee will depend on how you're going to use the work afterwards um so so i think probably i'm in a slightly different position as a photographer to some writers in that many jobs are really quite bespoke and there might be a bit more negotiation that goes on but they're the same basic principles um my time my skills that are providing that work and i deserve to have that valued properly and paid for properly the other one of the good reasons to join the nuj you get legal protection that alone is worth your subscription i i firmly believe and as freelancers, get a good accountant because you're in your J-subs, you can put against your tax as well anyway. And if you get a good accountant as a freelancer, you can put so much against your tax. It really is worth doing that, you know. I mean, and there's a lot, there's pluses as well to freelance, Lally. You know, I mean, I, if you go on a holiday and you're right about it, you can claim your percentage of the holiday back. Uh, so the, there are pluses to freelance life. As I say, the legal protection from the NUJ is is worth it alone. Even just even just getting in touch with the union for you know one quick email um, to the union for me um, asking for a different form of wording to challenge one of those contract clauses meant that I was then able to get it amended. I signed the contract and that was over four hundred pounds worth of work that pays my union subscription more than so um, it's. Um, there's a huge amount. There's a huge amount of lobbying that the NUJ does on behalf of, um, well, all, all journalists, um, but especially freelancers, um, in the work that we've done with, you know, the DCMS, with our parliamentary group, to run campaigns, to get questions asked in Parliament, to be able to flag these kind of issues that are just um, endemic throughout the industry, mm. um, because it needs to be brought to the attention of those who have the power to create change. Um, and so there's there's a huge amount that we do in terms of our campaigning as well, as well as that personal protection that you get by being a union member. Yeah, and I think one thing perhaps we might be useful to touch upon as well is obviously we've talked a lot about the NEJ, um, but quite a lot of our listeners work overseas, um, are based overseas or are in the UK and work for international clients. So I've got a couple of international clients. Um and I wonder again, like, if you're not, particularly if you're not getting paid by, you know, an, 
an American company, for example, is there anything you can actually do? And again, is that where, would a union be able to help with that or does it get more tricky if it's overseas? Natasha, perhaps you could... It, it is more complex, but that, that's the kind of issue that, that members do come to the union about. Um, and we, we have, um, obviously, we, we have contacts with other unions um, all around the world. We have members of the um, European Federation of Journalists and the International Federation of Journalists. And these kind of global issues um, are things that we can campaign on and seek advice on from, from our contacts elsewhere. Um, but it's tricky because we're working in a global world where our work can be used in all sorts of ways um, and trying to sort of pin a value on that and get sort of fair terms and fair payment is, is really hard for an individual to do and when you're up against a really, really big um, employer. Yeah, try to. Got no one. Yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah. It is tricky. Yeah, I mean, I think... My takeaway from this conversation is that I'm actually quite fired up. I think as freelancers, we just need to um, collectively, like you both said, push back, be saying the same things. Just get annoying. This is what I found with editors. Just be that person that they don't ever want to pay late. They don't ever want to kind of get on the wrong side on because you're just polite but persistently going to keep bugging them until they get it sorted and kind of just sharing that with new freelancers and people who perhaps don't know how it works I think those of us who are more experienced you know might have might feel more comfortable in pushing back on that and it's sort of just doing that for every on behalf of everybody um so there's also um the rate for the job um which is something that the NUJ hosts but you don't have to be an NUJ member so um we encourage everybody to submit their rates to us um let us know what kind of work you've done, how much you've been paid for it, whether that's good or poor. It really, really helps us to be able to collect that information about what's happening because there's a massive data gap for, for freelancers. If you look at um, things like um, the Labour Force Survey um, and their employment stats, we don't really know what's going on for freelancers because they don't collect that information properly at that sort of national level. So the more information that we can get... Um, in terms of what's happening in our industry, the stronger we are when it comes to um, evidencing the problems and, and lobbying for better solutions. Yes, absolutely. And that's a really good shout out, actually. So we'll put a link to the um, Rate for the Job um, website in our show notes as well, so people can go and check that out. It's something we refer to um, quite a lot, actually. Fantastic. Well, that's been a great chat. And like Emma says, I think hopefully our listeners will be fired up and feel a little bit more empowered now to um, push back. And we'll put some useful links um, and resources in our show notes. Just before we sign off, though, um, we want to kind of share some uh, love around the freelance community. And we like to kind of make recommendations. So this series we're asking for our guests to recommend a piece of work by a freelance journalist that's particularly kind of stood out for them. So Sharon, can we come to you first? Well, I, I picked out two. Um, Heather Brook for exposing the MP expenses scandal. Do you remember it ran for weeks, weeks, involved duck houses, house flipping. And I think she spent five years investigating that as a freelance journalist and uh, deserved every accolade she got. The second one 
Israel and Farah um, in America, who uh, worked on exposing Harvey Weinstein. And then obviously the two New York Times staffers got involved as well, but between the three of them. But Ronan Farrow has, has tried to expose a lot of the uh, under underbelly of seediness in Hollywood, so both them. Fantastic. Excellent shout-outs. And we'll put links to all these articles uh, in our show notes so you can find them. Um, and Natasha, what's your recommendation? Um, again, to, to trend this one is um, John Pring, who's the editor of the Disability News Service, um, because he's done a huge amount of um, investigative journalism into the Department for Work and Pensions um, and um, Social Security benefits and in terms of how disabled people are treated by the system and the outcomes that that has had, um, including including suicide. So it's some really high impact journalism um, that he does on an absolute shoestring. Um, but then I also wanted to make sure that we're giving a nod to sort of um, young journalists as well. So Faith Martin is um, a young disabled journalist who does some really great work and it's very sort of contemporary. It's very great at, I think, at normalizing disability and identifying the kind of barriers that disabled people face in day-to-day -day life, but in a way that is not uh, um, about pity or about um, inspiration porn, um, just, just really good, solid journalism there. Great. Thanks, Natasha. We will go and, and check out those recommendations. Okay, it's time to bring this episode to a close, although I'm sure we could talk about this topic all day long. Um, thank you so much to Sharon and Natasha for all their advice and practical tips today. Yes, thank you both very much. Um, if you would like more tips on how to develop a successful freelance career, then sign up to our newsletter on Substack. Just search for Freelancing for Journalists and on the newsletter we share tips and personal experience every week. Um, you can also join our large Facebook community. There's almost 7,000 members in there now. Um, and find us on Twitter. I refuse to call it X or whatever nonsense um, that is it's twitter and we're at freelancing for um i'm also on there personally as at emma journo yeah i'm on there as at lily canter although i must admit i'm not using it very much these days because it's just getting quite annoying um and finally big thanks to our producer maddie jury yes thanks maddie we will be back with another episode next week so bye for now goodbye